This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. It's 6 a.m. on Tuesday, the 19th of July. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar in studio with Philip C. and Wong Xiaoning. Very good morning. How are you guys doing? Very good. Joseon, Joseon. Selamat pagi. It is multiple languages. Only the second day of the week, but it has been a pretty rip-roaring start to the week, I think, with Parliament opening yesterday. Whoa. A lot of headlines fireworks. coming out of that. A lot of fireworks during the yes. session yesterday. We'll maybe get to that a little bit later when we take a look at the uh, headlines in our local newspapers and portals. But as always, we do have a very packed show full of interesting conversations. Beginning at 7.15, the government is delaying the implementation of the 80-20 hiring policy for another two years. So this is the policy to allow uh, to ask for businesses to hire 80% local employees before they hire 20% of foreign workers. Although theoretically, it must be very hard to get the 20%. Indeed. <laughs> Which is why <laughs> Which is the irony of it all, yeah. I think. Exactly, with the labour shortage at the moment, right? So what are the challenges for businesses to actually implement this policy? We're going to be discussing the issues at play with economist Dr. Niaz Asadullah. And at 7.30, we discuss, our, we discuss on Sri Lanka because they face an uphill task in rebuilding its economy that has collapsed due to economic mismanagement and pandemic pressures. We discuss the path out of this crisis with Anushka Wijansinha, co-founder of the Centre for a Smart Future. Then at 7.45, the government announced a series of austerity measures for all government bodies in a bid to curb rising expenditure. We're going to find out what the implications of this uh, of this will be with uh, Sri Munyati Yusuf of the Ting Tang Ideas and whether it really makes a dent to government coffers. All right, we'll have all this and more today on The Morning Run. Stay with us, BFM 89.9. That was Fleet Foxes with Ragged Wood. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mukhtar with Philip C. and Wong Xiaoning. It's 6.07 in the morning on Tuesday, the 19th of July. Now, Western European countries are facing a ferocious heat wave, with some cities seeing temperatures rise to 42 degrees Celsius. Now, as a result of the extreme heat, Wildfires have broken out in France, Portugal, Greece and Spain And it's caused over 24,000 people to flee their homes And of course, there are the health warnings in place To prevent the risks of heat stroke and other uh, illnesses caused by extreme heat But apart from the environmental and healthcare concerns Research has also shown a curious link between rising temperatures and crime So well, Philip, you're going to walk us through the story Yes, I will because this, is, this was Sorry, do you get like rage like how when, you, when it becomes too hot. Is that why we're asking you this question? Well, evidence suggests that's true. And also when I sit in my very hot car, I do get very annoyed and frustrated. Why are you sitting in a hot car? Well, well no, Does because your car you, not have air conditioning. No, no, as you enter the car when you after ah. being in the sun for a very long time, you enter into these hot environments, you suddenly just get very agitated very easily. So initially when I thought that's weird, but when I think about it, does temperature affect your behavior? And the answer is of course it does. The environment op- that you operate in for sure will change your behaviours and moods. And the question here is, is there a chemical link? Is there a biological link to this? And apparently it is true because apparently in Finland in 2017, they did say that ambient temperatures actually correlate with the amount of serotonin. And even there was another idea that suggests that hot weather increases our level of testosterone, which makes us more aggressive. So they even have an example in the US where there's 12% more intimate partner violence during the summer than in winter. Oh, Okay, I'm going to put it, I'm going to flip it around, which makes total sense because 
you do I mean most of us know that for for us to sleep better we need a cool room right so yeah. uh, you need I think a, a temperature of 21 degrees ideally which means that at 21 degrees we all kind of calm down our heartbeat slows down our energy levels kind of reduce we come to a comfortable place so I guess the com- the reverse is true right the opposite yes. is true then when the temperatures go up our heartbeat also rises and then we get into this agitated mood but my point is like okay you know with with global climate change what are we going to do about it because hot weather is here to stay in uk temperatures are hitting 40 41 degrees celsius i think in a way it's it, it, the higher the temperature goes though there comes a point where everything breaks down again right i mean yes. if it gets too hot uh, there's a point where your body can't handle it and then you're not going to have those reactions you're you're going to get sick so yeah you get heat stroke literally or dehydration so i think it's just extreme weather that i think is a big question and I guess the question is what is extreme the definition like we would love 25 to 30 right that's when you have ice cream that's when you have fun in the sun and you can sunbathe and such uh no <laughs> that's because well, that's not cause, for you that's because I'm super very sunphobic chill. yes I know for you you're you very are sun- a putri lilin yeah. as we would say <laughs> I don't mind the ice cream but I would avoid the sun yes so they even contrast to say look there's a very big difference between how people feel uh, between 32 degrees and 21 degrees Celsius compared to actually whether they're de- widowed, divorced or married. Really? Yeah. So, so your, your the marital status deba- has a bearing? It has how? less bearing than temperature. Okay. Than how you feel. So it goes to show how the bigger difference in temperature actually affects your mood more than your marital status. Oh, this is extremely interesting. <laughs> but I suppose all these conversations, I mean, t- in a way to me, they seem to be more relevant to those countries that are facing different weather patterns, right? Whereas here yeah. in Malaysia, we have just one temperature, essentially. Uh, I think, well, recently we had some periods where it was like really crazy, crazy hot, right? Even we felt it. it was and above, cold as well. Yeah, it was like 40 degrees of one or two days, 39, really? 38. Yes, Kedah yes. had 40 degrees. And I remember even in Klang, in Klang Valley, it was like 37, 36. And we really felt it. And yeah, I could sense a change in mood. Uh, there were... One thing, you know, for me, I noticed it's bad for business because people don't go out. Everybody stays at home. Everybody stays mm. in their car. Mm. Nobody wants to venture out on the roads. So there are repercussions for this climate change. I mean, aside from animals, of course, who feel it, and also food. Agriculture is impacted. I was also thinking about the adaptation measures that are needed. If the temperatures continue on this path upwards, more people are going to need to have air conditioning, for example, in their homes. Yeah. And can everybody afford that? Can they be made affordable so that more people can have a more comfortable living environment as temperatures go up? Well, that's why there's so many discussions about designing your house different, having higher ceilings. But how many people can afford that? That's the big question, right? And you're right. I think the issue in Malaysia is that although we have consistent temperature, the gradient and the deviation in temperatures is very is increasing. So we have these really hot spells. We also have these cold spells. So I think it's the change in temperatures that also regulates and moves our mood, not just only the high temperatures. But at this point, I'm going to dispel one Chinese saying, right? Because we always tell everybody, drink lots of warm water. Guess what? That's not true. Because according to the BBC article that's staring in front of me, in very hot weather, please stick to cold rather than hot drinks. Oh, my mum will not be happy with that exactly. suggestion or recommendation at all. But it's not warm water, guys. It's cold water.
All right. Well, tell us how you deal with extreme heat waves and how concerned are you about rising temperatures here in Malaysia. You can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. It's 6.13 in the morning. We're heading into some messages and we'll come back with the discussion on what it takes to become the Prime Minister of the UK. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. That was Come Undone by Duran Duran, a morning run favourite. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Shaoning and Philip C. If we look over to the UK, it may seem like their political scene is coming undone, uh, but the race to become the next Prime Minister is heating up with the field whittling down to four contenders as of Monday. Uh, the frontliner, or the front runner, sorry, is Rishi Sunak, the former uh, Chancellor. He is the top candidate. He won 118 out of 350 votes in the most recent voting round. Uh, Penny Mordaunt maintains second place and the former defence secretary is the dark horse in the race, emerging seemingly out of nowhere. And the article that we're looking at this morning is by Bloomberg about her political trajectory. Philip, walk us through this. Yes, so I found this really interesting because if you look at the polls and the process of how the Conservatives elect their next leader, they basically vote among the MPs. They whittle it out down to two and then the Conservative members across the country vote. And in polls repeatedly, Penny Modern is ahead uh, Rishi Sunak and all the other candidates. So this is very interesting because she's a dark horse, as you say. She's not a member of the senior cabinet of Boris Johnson, but she's really polling very well. And it's a testament, I think, to her work behind the scenes that because she's not basically in the limelight, she's been working her network and grassroots activism to basically build popularity among the backbench MPs as well as the conservative voter base. Well, what's interesting to me is, okay, I'll take a few steps back, aside from the fact that she's a dark horse, and literally when her name popped out, I was like, Siapa tu? Exactly, it was like, Penny who? Who is this person? Is she in any cabinet position? I mean, and maybe that's to her advantage. So 110,000 men, literally most of them men, right, in the Conservative Party will decide who the next Prime Minister of the United Kingdom is going to be. Similar to us, isn't it? Maybe. But the difference <laughs> okay. is that the Conservatives would have produ- has already produced two female Prime Ministers, yes, right? Theresa yes. May and Margaret Thatcher. So credit to those men, actually, yes. for being able to be open-minded to get women leaders in. So the article says she got to where she is because she's behind the scenes. She knows how to network. She knows how to uh, make sure she sees all the right people. Yeah. And that there's many aspects to her personality. She's not always 110% serious. She's done like a jumped out of a plane for a reality TV, Diving for example. Yeah, Um, she has certain stances when it comes to female empowerment, although she has been criticised for some parts of it. But I think maybe you think about it, she might succeed because she never got to a position of power whereby she could make a mistake and then put her foot into her mouth or do something which is publicly not acceptable. You're absolutely right. I mean, this is why Rishi Sunak is getting so much flack from the Conservative Party because she he has risen to power as a Chancellor of Exchequer. He's made cases to basically raise taxes, which is very unpopular. And didn't pay taxes himself or his wife didn't pay taxes, for example. Absolutely. So that limelight, I think, also is a liability for many people. True. But I would also go on the flip side to say that, that's all, that her lack of experience or her lack of uh, cabinet experience could also be a liability for Penny Mordaunt. And this is, mm. She hasn't had uh, the chance to show her leadership chops in a way, you know, because she's been so under the radar. She may have a lot of grassroots support, but whether you put her in that crisis position, can she actually put in the policies needed to lead a country out of trouble? So I just remind myself of Donald Trump, who also lacked the experience. And this is where the process is very interesting. That as long as she gets into the top two among the MPs, then it goes to the voter base. 
right? And the voter base may not look at experience as mattering as much as, you know, what her colleagues in parliament would want to. I think Penny Mordaunt is also saying she is the candidate to go up against Keir Starmer of the Labour Party. Yeah. And if the Conservatives want to beat the Labour Party, then they should put her in place rather than Rishi Sunak, who does have a reputation as being a little bit out of touch, as being of the upper class, of, of not being um, in touch with the grassroots. Um, so I, I think that's one of the, I guess, strengths that she has in her campaign. But whether she will be able to win is still an open question, I guess. It is an open question. So for the question for her is whether all the other MPs would unite against her and plumb for one candidate. But the interesting thing is, I feel, is that many people are also against Rishi Sunak. So it could be anyone but Rishi Sunak. So if she There is such a campaign, there within, is a campaign. The, within the Conservative Party. Anyone other than Rishi. So for her strategy is she just needs to be in the top two. Yeah, and, and I then think go also to the vote. He's also not popular partially because he's so aligned with Boris Johnson, right? So yeah. they, they want the memory of Boris Johnson just out of the door as soon as possible. They don't want anybody aligned to it, maybe because they think that if they go to the next general elections, then people will just see Rishi Sunak and equate him to Boris Johnson's uh, time mm. in 10 Downing Street. So let's have a fresh new face. True. And she might be the John Major that you know came after Margaret Thatcher. Possible, right? Possible. He Possible. was Mr. Gray. Nobody expected him to actually become Prime Minister. And John Major not only succeeded Margaret Thatcher, he went to the next general election and actually won that, much to Three everyone's times, surprise. Yeah. Yes. So maybe they hope, hey, we can repeat this success. Indeed, indeed. Can I just uh, draw your attention to the tagline for her campaign, which is PM for PM? I thought that was quite catchy, you know, <laughs> the fact that she could use her um, her initials as part of that tagline. But in any case, tell us what you think. Who do you think will most likely be the next uh, Prime Minister of the UK? And what does it take to kind of work your way behind the scenes to get to a position where you can contest the top spot? WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We're coming up to 6.25 in the morning and heading into the 6.30 a.m. news bulletin. We'll come back after that with a look at global headlines. In the meantime, taking you to the news is Change by the War on Drugs, BFM 89.9. That was Santana with Evil Ways. It's 6.41 in the morning on Tuesday, the 19th of July. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. It's that time of morning where we take a look at what's making headlines around the world. Phil, why don't you start us off? Well, well, speaking about evil, okay, sorry, I jest. <laughs> Referring to Goldman Sachs here, they have just announced, in addition to really sterling results, the plan to slow hiring and reinstate annual performance reviews. That struck me because I always thought Goldman Sachs would have been consistently doing annual performance reviews throughout the pandemic, but I guess it was really hard to baseline yourself, right? Yes, and of course, Philip forgot that they released results last night, but that's not so important. I did, I said, I think they did sterling results. Um, well, some people say yes, some people say no. Mm. Depending on who you think, who you, yeah, uh, who you ask. Um, but I wasn't so surprised that they don't have uh, performance reviews, at least not the robust performance reviews that used to happen pre-COVID. Partially because performance reviews are a benchmark against the previous year, right? It's That's a relative right. thing. So how do you benchmark yourself in a COVID time when COVID is? completely new. So especially organisations in Malaysia, I know many just said, okay, we'll just keep on with it, chugging along with it. But it could be meaningless because yeah. you really don't really know how to measure yourself against. So I guess when Goldman Sachs releases, they reinstate it, they really mean it seriously and it's going to amount to something significant then. 
I think what's interesting is also the fact that they're going to slow down hiring and they're not the only ones announcing this because even Apple is doing it. And I think this is a sign that companies are really taking it seriously that the economy in the US is slowing. And I'm wondering when we're going to see that impact on the unemployment rate because we know that the labor market in the US has been piping hot. I mean, the yeah. labor market super tight. is super tight. So with companies now announcing that they're not going to be hiring anymore, will that have an effect on you know the unemployment rate? And will we start to yeah. see that go up, um, I think that's something everyone's watching, especially with the recession looming on the horizon. Well, it's th- this then begs the question about what the Fed is going to do, right? Because they have uh, two KPIs. One is to ensure that employment, unemployment stays low. So you're talking like full employment model. And then on the other hand, they have an inflation target rate of 2%. So ironically, for you to actually temper down inflation, demand has to come down. For yeah. demand to come down, you know, even people like Larry Summers have come out and say that, oh, you need to have actually more unemployment, right? Because the, the hot job market creates too much demand for goods. So what's the sweet spot here? That's right. So the question here is, as we head into a recession, how different will this recession be? This could be a recession where it's full employment. Yes. That's but, very possible. In but so when you have these big banks or like even Apple cutting down their uh, earn, what they're calling hiring spree, maybe then the Fed might walk back or walk down their talk in terms of uh, rate increases because they're starting to see, hey, the job market isn't too hot. Well, they can come over to Malaysia because we are really short of labour. But talking about those who are recently unemployed... <laughs> I don't think we can afford the Goldman Sachs bankers, true. though. But talking about unemployment, uh, we see actually two people that have been sacked in Ukraine because Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky has sacked the head of the country's domestic security services and state state prosecutors citing hundreds of cases of alleged treason and collaboration with Russia. Oh, what's happening there, though? Yes, yeah, so Zelensky said that more than 60 officials from the SBU were working against Ukraine in Russian-occupied territories and 651 cases have been opened against these law enforcement officials. Were they because they're siding with Russia? Or, I mean, Purportedly. Purportedly. It's really, it's really interesting because I think one of those that was sacked was actually a former ally of Zelensky, a really close friend of his, a childhood friend of his, yeah. if I read that correctly. So I think we are going to see more of this come up as the war prolongs, right? And it's really a matter of whether Ukraine can withstand the continuing onslaught. There's also discussions in Europe about uh, arming Ukraine, whether they're getting the right weapons, mm. whether they're whether they're using the weapons in the way that's intended. I think all these questions will continue as the war continues. And remember the US trade China war? Remember that? Remember that yes. <laughs> once upon a time, once upon a time, <laughs> guess what? Time we could not forget. Yes, yes, COVID erased all that, right? Well, guess what? It looks like it's back again because Bloomberg reports that Biden wants chip makers getting US aid to curb China investments. So basically, the, the US is offering incentives to generate more semiconductor investment in the US versus China. Well, this is the tension between political economics. You know, there was a lot of conversation that the trade wars were going to be eased to help ease inflation. And supply chain disruption. And supply chain disruption and such. Guess what? No. <laughs> okay. I think this is all part of that changing supply chain landscape as well, right? Yeah. I think as the uh, supply chain disruptions show, uh, everyone's recalibrating now. How do we make sure that what what we saw during the pandemic doesn't occur again? So I guess creating more chip factories in the U.S. is one way also to temper China's influence. But in any case, we'll have more. We'll be following this as, this, as these stories develop. It's 6.46 in the morning. We're heading into some messages. We'll come back after that with a look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals. Stay tuned. BFM 89.3.
89.9. That was the Cardigans with Love Fool. You're listening to The Morning Run 6.50 on a Tuesday, the 19th of July. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. We're taking a look at what's making headlines in our newspapers and portals. Who'd like to start us off? Well, I think the day one riot yesterday, I think, created a lot of waves last night and fireworks as Kota Belut MP was suspended for, for two days following ejection from the House because a shouting match erupted in Parliament over the refusal by the Dewan Rakyat Speaker to allow a motion to discuss the claims of the Sulu Sultanate. Yeah, it was a really quite unusual scene and all the MP, opposition MPs literally kind of surrounded her yep. and tried to prevent her from being like, you know, taken out of parliament. Yeah, this is Koda Balu MP Isma Raisa Munira Majlis and you saw the videos, she was very very unhappy with why the Dewan Rakyat Speaker was not entertaining or having allowing a discussion of Prabahasan over this Issue. And I think she the the motion was rejected three times. Three times. Yeah. So the uh, Speaker of the House, um, Azhar Harun, mentioned that he didn't want to allow the debate to go through because it would be subjudice to an ongoing case. I think there are some uh, disagreements over whether that is a valid reason or not. Um, uh, it, it it to me, I feel like it. It should have been discussed. I mean, and this is just my opinion as a person who looks at parliament to debate important issues. The fact that this came out of nowhere, I feel it is a, a matter of national interest that should have should have been discussed in parliament. But uh, it hasn't. It will not be for now, at least. And we'll just have to wait and see to see how this goes. Yeah, interesting times, actually, in parliament. It's, it's, um, and the other thing also that has caught my eye uh, this morning is actually news coming out of... Um, you know, this labour employment issue, right? Yep. Which is, we're going to be discussing later on at 7.45. So the government now apparently has agreed to let CIDB agency fully manage entry of foreign construction workers. I think they're trying to ease some of the pressure uh, in the construction sector. But to me, why aren't they just really looking at all these issues holistically? You know, so we've got the Bangladeshi issue right? and then we've got the Indonesian mm. MOU, which the Indonesian ambas- uh, ambassador has said, look, you're not following the rules. It's all very piecemeal. So now the construction sector may get relief if CIDB takes over the hiring of foreign workers. But what about the manufacturing and plantation sectors who exactly. also require foreign workers or those who are seeking for domestic uh, helpers? I, I guess this doesn't really resolve the issue for the long term. So a coordination systemic, systemic, systemically across the board was necessary. And I think yesterday there was a press conference between Home Minister Datu Sri Hamza Zainuddin and Human Resource Minister uh, there as well, right? Datu Sri M. Saravanan, saying that they hope that the Indonesian foreign worker issue can be resolved, blaming communication breakdown as the reason why there's been a misunderstanding between the two countries. Uh, uh, excuse me? <laughs> communication breakdown. what was stated here. Communication breakdown. Exactly. They bl- claim, bl- blaming it on communication breakdown as the reason why Indonesia has issued a temporary freeze on sending migrant workers over to Malaysia. It's all about communication shouting. Oh, it's I'm always sorry. about communication. Okay, get the communication experts <laughs> in then to resolve this problem. Well, we are going to be talking more about labour later on in the show. We'll have economist Dr. Nias Asadullah weighing in. Um, but I would like to come back to Parliament and just some of the other developments that have come out there. Yesterday, Parliament passed amendments to the National Forestry Act, which, among others, would make it harder to excise permanent forest reserves. So under the amended law, state authorities have to conduct a public inquiry before they degazette any permanent forest reserves, and they're also required to replace uh, any reserves with new land of similar size or larger. This is uh, progress in the right direction, is it not? I mean, in in some ways, yes, because yeah. it does grant better protections on paper. But w- 
whether it will actually be enforced by states is another matter because land and forest issues are a state matter. So states do need to legislate on this in their own respective state assemblies. Whether they'll do that or not is an open question. Uh, But the Energy and Natural Resources Minister, Datuk Sri Takyuddin Hassan, was confident that this would not be a problem because he says that the National Land Council has agreed to these amendments. So he thinks the states are all on board. We will have to watch this closely because we've been seeing a lot of cases across the country of states uh, degazetting forest reserves quietly quietly and, yes. and that's another thing that's quite uh, outrageous and in, really. in, in the state of Selangor as well right recently over developments taking place and I think Kada also had also recent parliament, uh, their own state assembly discussions also about the result of why all these floods took place that's into right. deforestation that's right and speaking of Kada I think we have um, in, we have a really positive headline coming out of the Kada State Assembly uh, they have passed a bill to raise the age limit for marriage uh, to 18 years old, which is a long time coming. And I'm very glad to read that they have done that. Yeah, uh, let's hope more states actually follow through. Now, very quickly, uh, guess what? Your oil prices might, might, I repeat, might come down by 10% because the Special Task Force on Jihad Against Inflation, remember them? Uh, They're targeting a 10% decrease in the price of cooking oil within the next two weeks following the drop in palm oil prices. Move over, Makchik here. Welcome in, Makchik Goreng Pisang, because (laughs) she's apparently the new Makchik in town. (laughs) Well, a little bit of relief for her if oil prices do indeed come down. All right. It is 6.56 in the morning. That's our roundup of local news for the day. We're heading into the 7 a.m. news bulletin. And then after that, we'll check out how global markets closed overnight. Taking you to the news is Sweet Disposition by The Temper Trap, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.